0: Today's episode of the Real
1: Lives podcast. I was there with the lads and we were having a few beers and bumped into them. We got chatting to them and they said, Look, this is what we're doing. We think you could get classified. Do you fancy it? And he sat me down and said, Look, I think I can get you to the games, but uh, it's going to take a lot of hard work. And uh, have you got rich parents? I said, No. Nah. He said, "Well, you need to go and find some money then." So, and then we we're in France a month later, and I was riding, but not great. Went over a roller, and my leg just went. I was like, "Oh, this doesn't feel good." Got down to the doctor, uh, to the, the hospital, and he X oh, this uh, doctor or uh, X-rayed it, and she said, uh, "Yeah, it's broken. It's been broken for about three months." So, well, I went to my prosthetic, uh, prosthetic doctor and asked. I'd found that they made one in America, and I asked for it and. Um, they turned around and said they wouldn't make it for me they, they they wouldn't buy it because they don't something about not getting leisure stuff for adults and i was like well it's not leisure is it it's my job
0: so on today's episode i have on british paralympian james barnes miller he is a snowboard cross athlete um and in today's episode we get into all things to do with the sport itself so snowboard cross how he got into the sport how he ended up competing as a professional athlete we end up talking about things such as how he adapts his training because of his arm and how he was quoted for thousands for um, an attachment for his arm so that he could train in the gym and ended up building one which cost about five pounds, which is pretty crazy. Um, We also talk about what it's like to be at the the sort of center stage of a sport, especially in the Paralympics. And then we also get into things such as how um, Eurosport and how snowboard cross can start building up the media attention surrounding it so that not just fans but friends and family of the athletes can watch. So I hope you enjoy this episode and go and follow James Barnes Miller wherever you can. You'll find all his links down in the description below. And enjoy the episode. So James, tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Uh James Barnes Miller. I'm a Paralympic snowboarder. Um and we race in Border cross and Banks slalom. Um I've been on the team seven years now. Um and yeah, just go snowboarding.
0: Where did your background come from in snowboarding? Was it like a, was it a family holiday? Was it like holiday with mates?
1: Uh, yeah. Um, so I always skateboarded. Hmm. Um, and then I was told I'd love snowboarding, but never had the money and um, the people to go with. And then, yeah, I just went on lads trips. When I was, first one, I think I was like 19 or 20. Um, fell in love with it. Um, yeah, went on. Uh, lad strips every year. And then I was on a lads trip in Landgraf where I bumped into a couple of the boys that were setting up the, uh, or was, had just started competing and was setting up like the Paralympic team for Great Britain.
0: No way. So where was the first place you went snowboarding?
1: Uh Bulgaria.
0: What? The first which, which resort?
1: Oh, I can't remember.
0: Was it Borovets? Rem-
1: no, the other one.
0: Bansko. <clears throat> There's another one, but I can't remember the name of it. Yeah.
1: It f- starts with a P, I think. I can't no. remember.
0: Because the quality, right, Bulgaria's quality for snowboarding. Yeah, it was,
1: yeah, it was decent. I don't know um, if I made the most of the snowboarding. Uh,
0: <laughs> it's cheap we as done. anything in the bars, though, isn't it? Like You can was, like, you can get a pint for about one 2 £2 or something. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I think when we went, the cheapest we found was like 90 p a pint. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we definitely had some fun.
0: Yeah, it's outrageous. Bulgaria is, the, is like, it's the, it's, I'd say it's one of the hidden gems, of places you can go snowboarding in terms of the cost of trip and, like, the co- like all your expenses when you're out there. Like, I went with my girlfriend last uh, January of 2022, went to Borovets, and it was, I think, the third, third time I've been to Borovets. And it's just, it, like, I... First went when I was eleven, and it's not changed since. It's the, the layout; <laughs> everything's the exact same. But it's cheap as anything, quality. so you can have a quality time while you're there. And
1: and the mountains are good, but mm. like decent mountains, from what I remember. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't been back since, but it's definitely. Um, I don't. I don't get the opportunity to go on lab trips at the moment, so uh,
0: <laughs> full time. retire, now, eh? once I retire,
1: once I retire, <laughs> uh, I'll
0: get back on it with the boys. Yeah, make the most of it. So. Obviously, you said you skateboarded as well. So, what age did you get into that?
1: Oh, I've skateboarded as long as I can remember, to be honest. Yeah, me, um, I've got a twin brother and an older stepbrother, and the three of us used to, used to skate. So, I must have been, I don't know, maybe five. Um, and, yeah, we used to uh, go, go to the park and find hills to go down, and it just grew from there.
0: Were you good at, were you good at any of the tricks, or was that, like, i like snowboarding i'm very competent right like i can ride like pretty well i can do off-piece pretty well when it comes to doing like anything where the board comes off the ground
1: i'm I'm absolutely
0: (laughs) so like in Um, in skateboarding were you like were you good at like the sort of the technical side of it as well
1: no i'm not good at most technical (laughs) things uh i was i was we, we i I didn't really get into, like, flat land, learning to kick, flip, learning oh, I found that boring. So, um, for me, I, I prefer ramps, like mini ramps, half pipes. Uh, and I spent most of my time in the skate park, to be honest with you.
0: Decent. Yeah, I, I tried. I just couldn't get you. I couldn't do the transition side of it. I just... I, I preferred, like, throwing myself downstairs and stuff. Feeling it now. Oh, like, what?
1: Yeah. yeah, just... Great for the knees.
0: Oh, mate. I, I actually need knee surgery in about three weeks, so <laughs> <laughs> it's probably
1: not helped. I see, I see the kids doing the stuff now, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's knees just watching them. Oh, I watched
0: um, the X Games was on in California this week, the weekend just gone, yeah. and I was watching the best trick competition. Some of the stuff those lads are throwing out now, like Yuto Horigomi, there was like... That
1: no just, slide was unreal. Mate,
0: the, the last attempt of the day as well it was ridiculous like just but you're looking at the quality of it now and it's crazy to think like over the past what like 40 years we've gone from you know these massive like 10 inch boards no one can really do anything but big airs and stuff and now it's as technical as it is
1: yeah yeah it's unreal and watching watching the girls um on the vert was special uh what what was she 13 years old and
0: yeah in what you're on about the british one
1: no, the um, no, the girl that won X Games vert was uh, I think she's thirteen, and the commentator was like, the last time we had a uh, a vert competition at X Games, she wasn't born. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's ridiculous. Yeah, and it was unreal. So it's mind blowing what they can do now. Yeah. I was never that good.
0: The Japanese are, I like, well, they seem to be like the prodigies within skateboarding now. Like you've got Yuta Aragomi, and the Olympics, there was a, I think there was an eleven-year-old. And a thirteen-year-old girl in the street um, competition, and then there was like Sky Brown, the British girl who was in the the vert. Like, it's it's crazy that these kids are able to produce what they do at such a young yeah. age.
1: It's class, isn't it? I, I love it. I, I just think, yeah, if they're doing that now, what are they going to be doing in a few years, you know?
0: Yeah, like because I, I do you listen to um, Tony Hawk's podcast at all?
1: No, I don't actually. I should get into it because I listen to podcasts.
0: It's a decent one. So he does it with um, Jason Ellis, former first speaker yeah. as well, and they, they so they go on about some of the stuff they used to do and like he. So you know when he was prepping for the nine hundred, being the first person to do it, and now there's someone who's done a ten eighty, and it's like yeah. the the nine hundred at the time was like the biggest. It was like physically impossible to do, and now they've taken it one step further. It's it's, yeah. it's ridiculous, isn't it?
1: Well, that's that, that uh, the thirteen-year-old girl at X Games just gone done a seven, the first girl to land seven hundred on the vert.
0: So I can't even. I, I'm trying to comprehend how you actually like process that in your brain to know, like, have full awareness of your, like, I'm going to be landing at this point.
1: I don't think my brain works that fast. No, I don't man, think. I, <laughs> I don't think I could process it. No way.
0: Yeah. So, how many years were you skateboarding then before you got into snowboarding?
1: 16 17 sixteen, seventeen years probably, something like that maybe.
0: Crazy. So oh so you were like really, really young then when you got into skateboarding?
1: Yeah, yeah, we was young, but like it was never there wasn't all the there wasn't as many parks as there is now. Um so we were just going like I said, we were just going to um the park and bombing hills and like doing that kind of stuff and then yeah, got into the skate park and loved it. How
0: did you find the carryover from skateboarding into learning the snowboarding?
1: Um, I think there's a bit of carryover. Um like racing board across, it definitely helps with like how you pump things and how you move over stuff. But um there's definitely some differences, you know.
0: Yeah, huge differences. I because I did the opposite way. So I started snowboarding when I was eleven and then started skating, I think, when I was twelve or thirteen. So yeah, I kind of, like I found Learning, you know, the heel and toe edge to turn and to carve, it made it made so much more sense when I then got onto a onto skateboard and it took, like, a couple of days to get it right, you know, just being able to get around on it and stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, like, snowboarding is such a fun sport. Like, I, I well, didn't, yeah. I took, I think, four or five years where I didn't do a trip. It was around, like, COVID and then I did the one to Bulgaria. Yeah. As soon as I got up the top, I was like, why have I not done this in so long? Like instantly that <laughs> thought of like, like I can be going like 40 miles an hour in about 30 seconds now.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, had that over COVID and couldn't travel. And I, yeah, we were lucky. We were lucky that we could still train and, um, and I, li- I live in France, so we could still get around Europe. Um, but so we were super lucky to just carry on, you know?
0: Yeah. When did you move out to France?
1: I've been there... Uh, Four oh, or five years, something like
0: that. Oh, nice. Was that for uh, snowboarding?
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we've moved up to the mountains and it's uh, me and the missus like out there, so.
0: Decent. So what what was it the major move there? Was it just having the availability of the mountains there or was it just like a career decision or what?
1: No, do you know what? Um, after my first games in Pyeongchang, um, uh uh an agent that I was working well wasn't working with but we'd had some chats he'd um he said look i've got do you fancy a holiday to morzine um um i've got a couple of magazines that are interested in doing a write-up for this hotel so we went out me and the missus went to um went out there for a week holiday and we sat in the garden with the owner of the the chalet and she said why why don't you live in the mountains and we said oh well we've been looking but we're not sure and then she offered, um, she offered my girlfriend, uh, a job out there. So we that winter we moved out there, um, and we I'd never snowboarded. I, I didn't know what it was like for snowboarding. Um, yeah, we just thought it'd be great, and it, yeah, actually, is it has worked out really good.
0: That's absolutely mega. So, where, what point was it? So, obviously, you were doing it recreationally. You just going with mates on holidays and stuff. So, at what point was it that you realised you could make it into a career?
1: Uh, it wasn't until I, I bumped into the um, two of the guys, I and Ben, that I went to the first games with um, in Landgraf in Holland. I was there with the lads and we were having a few beers and bumped into them. We got chatting to them and they said, Look, this is what we're doing. We think you could get classified. Um, do you fancy it? And before that, I had, I, it wasn't even an option because um, the games before that, Sochi, um, Paralympic snowboarding had been introduced into it but my category wasn't in it so it wasn't even a thing so uh yeah they asked me if i'd be up for it so i sent a couple of emails and took a little bit of time for the coach to get back to us because he was still in the army at the time he hadn't left the army to do it full time he was just it was all sort of wheels in motion and then he emailed me and i went on a training camp where it went pretty good uh, we were training with like uh air pst which is like the armed forces um and he sat me down and said look if i think i can get you to the games but uh it's gonna take a lot of hard work and uh have you got rich parents i said no he said well you need to go and find some money then so <laughs> that was that i spent i, I come home i told my mum. i was like look this is what i want to do and told the missus and i was working every day and every night i was sat at my mum's house just trolling the internet trying to find sponsors, trying to find funding and bursaries and grants or however, like, any way to find a bit of money to get on the next training camp. And, yeah, it went from there.
0: That's that's ridiculous. So funny, though, how he's gone to, he sort of said, like, look, if you've not got rich parents, you you kind of, you've not got a chance kind of thing. It's pretty crazy that that's the way yeah. the sport is.
1: Well, yeah, the, uh, yeah and his bosses were saying, like, look, we don't think he's going to get to the games because... We just don't know like where's he gonna get the money from and where's the funding coming from so um, yeah it's just he he backed me which was really cool um like i i owe a lot to him because he um supported me and backed me and, and fought for me to get onto the team and yeah me and my mum just spent hours and hours and hours just trying to find some money
0: crazy so Just to go back a little bit, you mentioned there, there's obviously the categories within the Paralympics. So can you just sort of break them down and also tell us what category yours is and what that means?
1: Yeah. So in snowboard, it's pretty easy. Um, We have three categories. Uh, So we have an upper limb category that I'm in. So that's any deficiency or or missing something above the waist sort of. and then there's blow knees. So, um, missing one joint. So like, um, blow, any, uh, any, any amputee below the knee. And then there's above knees. Um, and then there's like other disabilities that sort of fit into their, depending on their severity.
0: You obviously had a conversation with this guy. What year was that? It was, cause obviously that wouldn't have been 2018. Yeah. It would have been a few years before.
1: It was a, I think it was two years before that.
0: Okay so you had half an olympic cycle to get yourself prepared and ready to
1: maybe three yeah three or two or three years yeah i think it was two, two years yeah Crazy. something like that
0: so what how a how did you get sponsorship to sort of fund your way through those three years and b what things were you putting in place to ensure that you were well not ensure, but make the best chances of getting to the games
1: um for me uh uh like, what I found the best was um, bursaries actually finding um, charities and organizations that will um, help fund disabled athletes mainly, but um, young athletes Um, and a lot of them like they'll either pay for equipment or they'll want to, they'll pay for your travel to a competition. Like they have, they have like stipulations. Um, uh, So yeah, like I say, I was spending every night looking through them Finding out what they would want the money spent on, and and writing letters and, and filling out application forms, um, as well as that, I was like sending emails to local um, businesses and people that I knew um, in the local area where I lived, um, and done some fundraisers. Um, I was really lucky to have some really good mates that uh, done some fundraisers, uh, some fundraisers in the pub, like sponsored cycles, like stuff like that, and. Uh the rugby club sponsored me. Um uh, yeah, it just went on like that and it was hard. I was really lucky with work. Um my boss would give me the time off to go on training camps, um and he would yeah, help me out as however he could as well. Um and yeah, that was that was it. It was just a struggle, you know. First three years maybe, up until the career really was struggle the missus was super understanding, like letting me go away um holding the fort back at home, you know. Um but I think she knew well yeah, she knew that it was what I needed to do and what I was uh what yeah, what well I had just that goal of getting to the first games. Um and then uh yeah that was that.
0: So how much funding did you end up pulling together and how far did that take you in terms of training camps, equipment, you know, flights, all these different things?
1: Oh, I couldn't put a number on it. I don't exactly know, um, but it didn't cover everything. <laughs> so so
0: let's just, what, what are the costs that people may not be aware of of, of, of you know, trying to become an Olympic snowboarder?
1: um so you've got flights and accommodation um i had training fees so i had to pay for the
0: coaching um, how much is the coaching usually there's a range i,
1: I don't know i don't know now um uh, i haven't got a clue i haven't paid it for a few years now <laughs> luckily <laughs> um oh yeah i wouldn't know but it, it wasn't cheap um And then flights, accommodation, uh, entry fees into competitions, your race license, um, medical insurance, mountain insurance. um, And then equipment, race boards, obviously like helmet, back protector, like all the stuff you need to race, um, uh, like race kit. Uh, And then yeah i don't know what else there was
0: what so what are the sort of specific differences between like you know your regular snowboard which you would tend to do maybe the freestyle with and you know do go in the park with comparative to the you know the snowboard cross board
1: so snowboard cross boards are normally customized for you um they're a lot stiffer so like torsionally stiffer um to help you in like faster t- uh, faster turns um so it help you keep an edge uh the bases are nice are like really nice um they've got a nice structure in them which is like disperses the water so when you're going over the the snow um you're melting it so you want that melted water to disperse to help you glide across it um so it's got a nice structure in it um so yeah they they, they do they do cost a little bit yeah
0: can I can imagine just a little bit Yeah.
1: Um,
0: And then, so in terms of like, obviously you do your training on the slopes, which is a lot of, you know, time time trials, I can imagine, a lot of technical turns, all that kind of stuff. But what were you doing on the side of that, like in the gym to enhance your performance on the board?
1: For me, I was always big into my gym anyway. Um, So for me, I'm quite a short guy. So even now, I still try and put on a lot of weight in the summer, like good weight, like muscle. Um, because it's gravity sports, so uh, being a bit heavier does help, especially on like flatter, um, long straights and stuff. Um, so I put on a lot of weight in the sum, or tried to put on a lot of weight. But also for me, like when I first started, um, I was super unflexible. To, so to get, uh, so getting into different, um, uh, into different sort of what positions that they wanted me to get into, um, I really struggled. So. A big thing for me was yoga. I started yoga and um, it really helped me get a bit of flexibility. And that that helped me massively at the start.
0: So how, obviously, because being a Paralympian, you're missing one hand, aren't you? So how Mm -hmm. do you adapt certain types of training uh, to sort of, you know, to be able to still get the same stimulus? So like, say, you know, a bench press kind of movement, how are you adapting that?
1: so now uh me and my old coach actually he um helped me make a i went to well i went to my prosthetic uh, prosthetic, um doctor and asked i'd found that they made one in america and i asked for it and um they turned around and said they wouldn't make it for me They, they, they wouldn't buy it um because they don't they don't i can't remember his words something about not getting um leisure stuff for adults and I was like, well it's not leisure, is it? It's my job and they they went to they went to whoever they have to go to and they refused it and now I think that was the last time I ever went there. Um so me and my coach made we it's very basic. It's um I had an old like socket that my arm fits into and um it's an old it's it's a um scaffold clip. A quite a nice scaffold clip, but we and then we glued um like rubber matting, like that you get in the gym inside it and it just clamps onto the onto the bar and I can do everything with it. Pull-ups, bench, bent over rows. Um, Yeah, it's really cool and it cost us like a fiver. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Probably compared to what would be like 10, 15 grand for the one from oh, America. Yeah.
1: they are rinse yeah, yeah.
0: That's incredible that you've managed to do that. You'll have to send me a picture of it because I'll make a clip of it and put that in it as well as you saw. Yeah, I've got
1: it, it here so I'll, I'll, I'll get it out. But um,
0: yeah, so like how long did so obviously that's going to take a lot of thought on like how you're putting that together so how long was it from you know like i've got to make my own to when you actually had that and it was working and you know you could use it daily
1: do you know what like it took i didn't use it for i I was using like weightlifting um hooks and stuff like that but nothing was great and that was a few years um of just doing like other things um and then I sat down with my coach. I was like, look, I need something different. I want to start doing bigger lifts and I want to be doing other things. I'm lifting more weight than I was before. So I need something that's going to hold. And we were looking online and we found this American thing and we went to the doctor and that took a couple of months. And then I had this socket and I went to him and he was an engineer anyway. I think that's what he'd done his degree in and he was in the army as a engineer. And I think he banged it together in like, a couple of days he was like i found this i found this this is what we need and yeah got it all together and well, i'm still using it now it's been four years maybe five years yeah four years um and it's yes yeah, it's wicked it's honestly it's it's changed the way i train massively um i always had an imbalance obviously my left hand having my hand was always bigger than my right uh my right arm and because i didn't train it the same you know um and it's, it's changed massively for everything. Like I can do like overhead dumbbell press. And so like my shoulders are filled out, my arms filled out and it's, um, it's yeah, it's changed my training massive.
0: Did them imbalances cause any issues in terms of like, you know, cause you can get quite stiff and obviously you end up using one side more than the other and stuff.
1: Yeah, I used to, I used to um, yeah, I've, like looking back now, like at the time you just crack on and I didn't really think about it, but it yeah, it couldn't have been great, you know? Doing all that training, trying to build myself up and it being imbalanced. So um oh yeah, I definitely think it's it's helped me out and yeah, it from like even when I'm when I finish snowboarding I think I'm still gonna well, I'll use it every day, you know.
0: mm, yeah. So Obviously in the build-up to the Olympics, you have to go to the well, Paralympic qualifiers, don't you? So where were they held? Where, where was that event?
1: Uh, for China, um, it was weird because it was all messed up because of COVID. Um, and so they took our World Cup, I think it was our World Cup points. Okay. Um, and used our World Cup points as... Our, like our qualifiers i think um i think that's how it was yeah it must have been because we also had the year before the, the um the games we also had oh no that's the same year yeah i think it must have been World well Cup points
0: so what was your first competition then as a professional athlete uh
1: it must have been in landgraf where i met the boys um the year later um it's always our first race of the season, so it's an indoor race, um, like a bank slalom race in in Langrath. Um, and I remember going we we were doing a bit of training in Stubai in Austria, and we went up, and it was the first time I'd even seen a like a like a bank slalom or a, or a track, and yeah, it was a bit like, hang on a minute, I'm I not
0: do it sure. It <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely, but. Um, it was fun. I think I got fished out of the nets a couple of times.
0: Jesus.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what, what was the learning curve like? Because obviously you can train for something as much as you want, but when you get onto the competition floor, it becomes a completely different environment. So yeah. how long was it before you started to feel a bit more like, comfortable in competition? You, know, you were thinking, like, I'm going to place here or like, you know, fourth, third, whatever. Um,
1: well, my first, season, my first season, I actually broke my leg um so i missed a lot of the season Mm. uh which wasn't ideal Uh, i think i had done it in austria um i just went off a jump messed it up and it was and but but i had like a day back in uk and uh, um i went to the hospital and said look it doesn't feel right and she went oh you've walked in you look all right it's not broken i was "Oh, okay so i flew to america and i still couldn't ride and when we were in aspen i went to um the doctors there and he x-rayed it and said, it's still not broken and i was like, oh okay so i'll it must be my head so he gave me some padding and we i still couldn't ride and then we we're in france a month later and i was riding but not great went over a roller and my leg just went i was like oh this doesn't feel good got down to the got down to the doctor uh to the, the hospital and he oh, this, uh, doctor, x-rayed it and she said uh yeah, it's broken. It's been broken for about three months. You can see where it's like built up, like the the calcium build up around it. And you've put a fresh crack for it where it's not healed properly. So uh, yeah, that wasn't a great start. And then I don't know, I think it was must have been like two years before I've started to feel like I was going to do all right, you know. I still wasn't anywhere near where I wanted to be. Um, but like it was getting there you know
0: yeah did you have like that sort of imposter syndrome for those first two years
1: um no i i don't think that's in my nature i was like <laughs> this is where this is where like for me i was like this is where i want to be and hmm. i had a good idea of where i wanted to take it so um i just had that plan you know we yeah. knew what we wanted to do and i i Believed in myself and and trusted my coach at the time and yeah, mm. it so worked out.
0: The job you were doing when you first realised that you know you mm-hmm. could make you could make this a career, what was that? And at what point was it that you then left it for just a snowboard?
1: So uh, I was working uh, doing loft conversions, extensions. Yeah, it's just a builder. Um, I was doing like labouring and yeah other bits and. Um and I was doing that for a good couple of years. Uh up until pretty much Korea. Just before Korea, um I moved we moved from where we were living up to where my um girlfriend's parents lived and we stayed with them. It was meant to be for a month, but we ended up there a year pretty much. Um and we couldn't like it was getting to that point where I didn't have funding still. It was getting, yeah, it was getting difficult and being able to move in with them for a bit saved us, to be honest, yeah. Um, And then that's where, yeah, went to that first. Well, to be fair, we moved up there and then I had all my um, kit stolen at the back of my van. Yeah, which was... And that was the season going into that um, Paralympics, going into Korea. So that sucked a little bit hmm. oh sorry
0: oh good yeah that... uh, so was there any point where you were like almost going to give up like you know <laughs> getting your stuff robbed you you're not getting the funding you want were you almost like oh, you know at some point i've got to pack this in
1: you know what it was it was getting close it was like look i just couldn't afford couldn't afford to do it like uh i i owed the team at the time a bit of money and um yeah and then i got my stuff stolen and i was like oh how do I do this? And, but for me, I was like, right, what, what do I do, need to do now? So I went, um, to the press, I was, I was emailing every media outlet that I I, I could find an email for. And, um, and then the BBC invited me down. What well, cause I was in Manchester anyway. So I went down to media city and, um, uh, done an interview with them about all my stuff being stolen. And I've, I've been selected to go to the games and all that. And, um, and that helped me massively that the, the um, exposure from that was, was really good. And we've done a GoFundMe and again, my mates done some fun fundraising in, in, in Thanet where I grew up. And uh, yeah, it was kind of looking back at it now, a blessing in disguise. Cause if I managed to fund that season, pay off my debts to the team and get new kit. So um, it was like a stressful, t- stressful, stressful at the time, but it it actually um it got me through that season, you know.
0: Having gone through all that, what was the moment like when you actually found out you would go into the Olympics?
1: It was mad because for me, that's that that was like the whole plan. Like that was what I was going for, you know, it was just to get selected and, and get to my first games. Um, so yeah, it, I was buzzing and I was just happy to go. You know, I'd finally. Like that's all. That was all. My whole plan was just do enough to, or do enough to get there. You know. Yeah. So
0: because um, the, there's the the thing with athletes, isn't there? Where it, like Tyson Fury, for example, you know, his goal was always to be the world heavyweight champion, and when he did it, he completely fell off the rails because he was like, "I've achieved everything I'd ever set out to in life at the age of thirty-two or something." So for for you, when you'd been to the Olympics and you'd done it, what was you feeling like? What when you reflected on your time there? What were you sort of thinking? Were you like, "I've got to go and do more," or were you like, "What? What do we do next?"
1: No, for the first games, um, I got back and I was buzzing still, and but but for me, I was like, "Right, this this isn't it. I'm I'm a I need to do more." You know, I was just happy to be there at that games, and that, and then I was like, "Right, this is where." I need to like knuckle down, train harder, and uh, and do something different. I was like looking at different things to do. Like, what did I do in them th- two or three years? What can I do different to then step it up and and get better? You know.
0: So what um, have you changed over from that cycle into this four-year cycle? Uh,
1: so at the start, it was just me. Uh, training. Owen took a bit of time off, and the, we didn't have anyone else. Ben retired. Um, so I'd done a lot of training with, uh, the Olympic guys. So we'd like Hugh and Charlotte and, and Maisie at the time. Um, so I trained with, I was training with them, which I thought for, for me was really good. Um, to see how they train, see what they do. Um, and I took a lot of stuff from there. This, I just took the bits I liked, you know, what I thought would benefit me. Um, so we'd done that for a year, maybe two years. No, a year probably. And then, we got a new coach um, uh, and the way he coaches was different to our first coach, um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was cool. So we were doing that and then we got on another coach. um, So the first coach was really, he's really good with like fundamentals and and teaching you to snowboard and which is wicked That's exactly what we needed. And then, um, and then also like, we need to get a um uh a coach in that really understands racing. So um we got in another coach who's used to race for um the Netherlands. And uh now now we're yeah. We I think we've got the the best like the best coaching like we could get we can get, yeah.
0: So, so what does your typical week look like now then? If you're in a training camp, what are you doing day to day?
1: Like today, um, we were up super early. We were, um, yeah, we went up before the lifts opened. Uh, and then they opened a lift for us to train for like two hours before the public turned up. Um, so we we trained with the Australians, uh, the Australian para team, the Australian Olympic team. Um so we run two hours of like slalom training um, and then went in for a coffee and then went back out and done a few hours of like jump training. So just hitting jumps and really dialing that in um, and then got back down, played a round of Frisbee golf. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then jumped to this. But um, normally it'll be, we'll tr- like this week we'll train like five days or, we'll take like the weekends off maybe um and it'll be the same really slalom or, or working on fundamentals um and then look at look, for us over here it's l- looking at jumping um a lot of time hitting jumps and getting comfortable and working on absorptions and yeah all that boring stuff and then um just getting in the gym and keeping fit
0: so on the sort of coaching aspect how did they? how do the coaches go about that do they do some of them follow you down or is, are they constantly filming everything that's going on like and then do you analyze it after or do you do it like sort of live feedback once you've done your run sort of thing
1: it depends what we're doing like the slalom this morning um everything was filmed so we'll look back at that we'll sit down together all three of us and then um I look through it and see what we need to change what we do but after every run you're going back up and you're speaking to the coaches and they'll say like look that was nice but we need to change this look at this and um so it kind of depends on what and if they see something then they might film it on their phone and we can have a quick flick through it and and see because you have to be at like you feel like you're doing something and it isn't until you see yourself doing it that you can really understand all oh, right I wasn't doing it I need to change this so um uh, and then when we were jumping we just like unless we're working like on real specifics and sometimes we'll, we'll film stuff and um look back at it but today we just we've just hit jumps <laughs> the coach has joined in
0: <laughs> so the jumps actually that's something I wanted to ask about like because you know when you think of a jump people think of you, you go as high as you possibly can but with this yeah. it's a it's about efficiency so what What are you looking for to make something the perfect jump during a race?
1: During the race, um, most of the time you're trying to absorb them. So you don't want to go up because if you're going up, then that's time taking off. Like you're slowing yourself down, you know, Um, but that it all depends on the jump. Some jumps, you will have to do that to make the landing because if you knuckle it, then it's going to slow you right down. Um, But most most of the time you're trying to absorb it and keep as low to the ground as you can and, 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 Go keep going in a straight line, you know.
0: In terms of the sponsorship stuff, like you, you said, you struggled at the start to get that. So now, how does the sponsorship work with you? Because obviously, you're a full time athlete now. So, is it also do you get enough sponsorship? Do you think there should be more within the sport, or how do you, how do you sort of see it?
1: So, um, I get funded by UK Sport, so like the national lottery, um, and it's all based on results. So um uh yeah so i'm actually like I've, I've had some good results so um i'm funded pretty well um do i think it could be better um yeah because um yeah it's still pretty hard and it's pretty risky <laughs> but um uh yeah i i do think it i i'm yeah i'm doing all right um Uh, But I do think with UK Sport, it's a little bit backwards where um, uh, the funding doesn't come until you get results, which makes it really hard. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, they are getting better. Um, We've got a development programme that's just started last year, um, which we've never had. And that's that's funded by I think I think I'm, I'm not that into it. I, like, I don't know enough about it, but I think it's UK Sport and um, Snow Sports Scotland and Snow Sports England maybe, um, which is really cool. We've got a great um, coach who's um, running that and he's putting on events all over the UK um, in the indoor domes and up in Scotland, um, which it, like anyone can go to. And yeah, he's doing that now, which is, which is really good. And I think we need to do more of that to help people get to a standard where they can come up and join so, join the team you know
0: so what do you think snowboarding could do as a sport to bring in more media attention which would then turn bring in more sponsorship and more money and more prize money
1: um i think more um like lot like especially paralympic snowboarding um it's really hard to follow like a lot of our world cup races aren't filmed aren't streamed aren't put on any platform um and i think that's a must you know um because like my mum and my mum will follow it and friends will follow it and they're all they're following is like the fizz website with times on it or results on it you know um and and the only things that are on the tv or streamed are normally world champs and the games, so that's every two years, and then every four years for the games. Um, so I think that's a major major issue, and um, I think that needs to be addressed. Um, but it's just, it's a new like paraletics. No one's such a new sport still, really, and in, in the scheme of sports, you know. Um, that I think it will come. It's just gonna take a bit of time.
0: Yeah, I think they think. Like we've seen recently the amount of sports that have, you know, the big sports, but the amount of attention that have come from documentary series, like drive to survive uh, full swing. You've got the tennis one that's just come out or the all or nothings, you know, in the football teams, they bring so much media attention that actually they're probably missing the mark, whether or not like GB snow sport, for example, could be going behind the scenes, showing everyone the ins and outs of people's lives. Like, you know, the sort of the elation and, the you know the, the the pressing the pressing side of it when you lose like mm. seeing all aspects, seeing the political side like people don't understand it, which is probably why they don't watch it. You know, unless you, yeah. unless you've been snowboarding, you're probably never going to watch snowboarding unless it's on at the Olympics. Yeah, so it's like just giving it that little bit extra media coverage.
1: Like, yeah, I think I think the issue with that is um, again it's down to funding. Like, yeah, it's a it's a big budget to then get someone to come to however many races or competitions like you think especially under GB snow sport, you've got all like Alpine snowboard, para snowboard moguls, like para Alpine. uh, Um, and I'm I'm sure I've missed loads there, but, um, trying to get people to them, to then film it. And it's, yeah, again, it's down to like where you find that money to be able to do that. And I, I, I agree. That's where it needs to go. But, um, yeah, it's a chicken and egg, isn't it? Yeah. It's such a hard one because like
0: I like I've interviewed um multiple bobsled athletes. I've got an interview with the skeleton skeleton athlete in a couple of weeks. And the like these sports I think are much more impressive than some of the sports you see at the Olympics, which you get the major coverage. Like, you know, speed walking is a sport. Like how has yeah. that <laughs> got coverage? And it you know there's so so much more impressive like when you actually look at it you know, the skill of it sort of thing. But it just seems to go amiss other than at the Olympics, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I agree totally. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of the summer sports like have got the attention because a lot of, there's a lot more people doing them, I guess. I don't really know, to be sure. um and And I think London 2012 definitely had a a big, especially the UK. You know how big that was, and people are still following it from there.
0: Yeah, I did. It. I interviewed uh, a four by four hundred meter uh, relay athlete who was from Team USA who competed at the London Olympics. Like, and you know, I remember watching that race because I was thirteen, I think thirteen at the time. Like, and the so the sort of difference that had on the way schools approached athletics and all that kind of thing is massive. But then, obviously, the winter sports. Just the way the UK is, you know, we don't have access to all this stuff. It just doesn't hit the spot like it does for the summer.
1: No, no, absolutely. And I think it's it's getting better, but um, I don't think I, I just don't think it's going to be the same as the the summer sports, um, which is a shame. But yeah, it is what it is. So
0: what what sort what are some of the worst injuries you've had as as a result of snowboarding, and sort of what did, how did you go about the recovery to get back to full fitness?
1: Uh, so I've done my collarbone the year after the Korean Games. Um, I had to have a plate in it. I broke it in three. Um, I've d- I done my AC joint on the other side. i done my tib, I think, the small bone in your leg. Uh, um, uh, yeah, and loads of, like, little little injuries. But uh, for me, I'm, I'm really i don't enjoy it though. No, that's the, not the right word but for me it really focuses me i'll get I like i do whatever i have to do to get back in as soon as possible so um like r- straight in for surgery if i need surgery or seeing the right like doctors to get the right advice and then um and as soon as possible i get back into re- like rehabbing um like my ac joint uh i done just before christmas a couple of years ago um and then I, I saw a doc, the doctor in London straight away. And then over Christmas, I'd, I'd started rehabbing and then like the first, of, uh, the first weekend. So it's like second or third January. I, w- I went straight to um, Sheffield where we, I was working with our, um, our physio for like a week before flying back straight back out to Finland with the physio to carry on, um, rehabbing whilst getting back on snow. Um, to get back for a race, so for me, I like yeah, I'll I'll obviously listen to what the specialists have to say, but I try and push it as quick as I can.
0: They give you the sort of the worst case scenario, like they yeah, they, you know they they'll say three months, but you could probably two or half of that yeah. sometimes.
1: And that's and that's why I like we. Uh, he's he's left us now. He's he's now with England football, I think. Uh, um, but he was good. I. I could I sit down with him and say, look, how long do you reckon? And he's he'd give me the honest answer. It pushed me. It it pushed me like it. Who was that? Uh, Lawrence. His name was. He was our uh, head head physio at GB Snowsport. Uh, up until China. Oh, until China, and then yeah, he went over to football. But yeah, he was he was good. He would, yeah, it pushed me, and it was hard at times. But yeah, he was wicked
0: was it nervous getting back on like especially with the collarbone the collarbone is probably the worst one out of of all them because you know you can't do much about it you've just kind of got to sit and rest sort of thing so was it were you nervous going back onto the slopes with that just in case you fell funny or
1: oh yeah 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 and and same with the ac joint the the ac joint probably hurt more than breaking my collarbone to be honest yeah oh really um yeah, it was just a weird pain, like with collarbone. I was like, "Oh, yeah, that don't feel great." Whereas my itchy joint, like, I went white straight away, and I was like, "Oh, that hurts." Yeah.
0: Uh, What's the the length of a career for a snowboard cross athlete? Like, at what age do people start to retire?
1: It all depends, to be honest. Yeah. Like, there's especially we've asked with Paralympics um, border cross. There's guys still doing it now that are a bit older than me, but. And and the Olympic side of it, like some of the guys are getting into their mid to late thirties and still and still ripping, you know. Um, it all depends on the person, you know. Like I've definitely found now, I'm thirty three, and it's like some things are take like I need to sit down every now and again, and some injuries are taking a little bit more time to heal than they 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 would off, you know. Yeah. But um, um, but it all depends. It all depends on the individual, I think.
0: So you uh, have you started looking at like putting things in place for after your career or are you still leaving that for a few more years?
1: Um, I'm going to do Italy. I'm going to go to the next games, hopefully, if I get selected. Um, um, and then after there, I'll start thinking about what other thinking? things, I think. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, but that's the, who only, knows.
0: It's the only thing with like athletes, like because I've worked in football and I've seen it where, you know, lads, they build, you know, they're building their lives around a football career and then they come out of it all of a sudden, whether that be through injury or they retire, or, you know, they just didn't make it past academy level and they've put so much effort into the football that they then come out and they're like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with my life because the past 20 years been focused on football. So, is it if, like GB Snowsport, for example, put any things in place, you know, to sort of help you if you need like career advice or financial, like financial advice and all that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, massively, massively. Um, uh, GB Snowsport and UK Sport, um, uh, I get a grant every year, um, a grant every year to go on courses um, to like bet myself. That that course could be anything, um, uh, and then we have like a lifestyle performance lifestyle coach i guess it's a coach um who yeah we can go to with that kind of stuff and they um can either help you through it or they'll find someone who can help like an expert in that field um if we need help but i, I was lucky i i didn't yeah i must i think i was 25 or 24 when i started so i'd already like done a bit of like i, I had a job and I, i've done things you know so um it's, for me, it's like, yeah. If it all finished tomorrow, I could just crack back on with what I was doing before, you know. Um, it hasn't been my whole life. Yeah, I, I, I get it. one of our performance lifestyle coaches years ago um, was a uh, she was an ex gymnast and that's all she knew. And and when her career finished, she was like, I didn't know what to do. And she was like, What what would you do? I was like, I'll just crack back on with what I was doing before. <laughs> she was like, Oh, you got it all figured out, haven't you? I was like, Well, I wouldn't say figured out, but um i've just i think i was lucky to have done things before i got into being a full time yeah. athlete you know
0: yeah because most cases now is like you have to be you know from the moment you walk in you're in the sport you're learning it and your entire life is focused around it so then when it gets to the end a lot of them still just mm-hmm. like what how, where do i go what do i do you know i've got no qualifications and stuff like that
1: i think that's why paralympic sport's so different because a lot of people obviously like if they don't get injured until later on in life and or whatever it is they they've there's so many so so much- variety you know um and I think going back to what you're saying about like if 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 we had a film crew following our tour, some of the stories are unreal, you know,
0: yeah exactly like you see the and it's it, you get to see the personalities behind people you see online or in the race sort of thing as well. So it also brings exposure to you and gives you more opportunity in terms of like sponsorship and whatever else it may be. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: So your best race and your worst race, how do they compare and what did you take from the worst race that you then took into
1: the best one? Uh, We'll start with worst was probably China, to be fair. Um, uh, I'd, I'd had a great season. We'd gone to World Champs. I'd, I'd medalled at most World Cups. Um, uh, I'd got a silver and two bronze at the World Champs, like, literally, like, two months before. So I was, I was going into it super confident. I was like, right, this is my race. Um, I feel like I could do really well. I could hopefully get on the podium. Um, And then, yeah, in the semi, semi-final, I think it was, I, I got taken out and, and fell over. Um, and that was gutting, you know, um, it, like, yeah, got back, got back from the games. I still haven't watched it. Um, and my missus thought I was having a breakdown because I didn't speak about it. Um, and yeah, she, she was a bit worried for a little while, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a bit gutting, but it is, it is what it is. And, uh, had a bit of time off over summer and then got back into it and, yeah, ready to ready to fight for the this next season. But um my best best race was probably at that World Champs before it. I was I was leading the board across and um up until the last corner and then this this French guy that I raced against just managed to cut the it was on my heels so I drifted out a little bit and he cut it on his toes really nice and just got me over the jump before the finish line. Um but it was a great race. I I've watched it loads of times and um I really enjoyed it, you know?
0: So what have you taken from both? Of them? Like if you could take one lesson from both,
1: um, days, what would it be? So for, so for the loss, um, and it's what I've, I've, I've gone into this, um, four year cycle, um, with is, um, I've, for the last six or seven years of doing it, it's been my whole life. I've, I've, that's been I've so, totally focused. I've not done anything else. Um, and it, um yeah it's been everything that i've I've thought about and i've gone into this four years um not not caring but trying to do other things to balance it out you know and and have it having a better um work-life balance um i'd like before i'd like drop things like if weddings and everything i'd i'd uh i would um yeah, drop them and and go on a training camp. Whereas now, I'm trying to balance it up a little bit, and if there's things that I want to go and do, then I'm going to do them. And I think it's actually helping my riding. I'm more like ha- I'm happier. I'm riding better. Um, to get that better work life balance. Um, and my best race. What do I get from that? Don't know. I don't. I don't think I learn a lot from the good races. You know, like you enjoy it. You enjoy them, but. I think the losses are where you you learn things, you know.
0: You get take the most from them, don't you? Like, like yeah. that, you know. Like you said, you took spent most of your time all consumed by it. To so then realize mm. that actually you're probably better off to allow yourself to do the other things, which will then in turn benefit your performance because you're better headspace. Like, because like you know you're missing if you're missing say a friend's wedding or you know uh, the lads are going on holiday and you don't go. it's Bit of shit, isn't it? Like, you're like oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you don't, you don't want to be the one who misses out on it, all the memories that everyone else is making together. So, to allow yeah. yourself to have that work life balance, like, it's massive, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, I, yeah, like I say, I've, it's, I've, I've definitely seen a change in my riding, I think. Hmm. So,
0: one final question for you, which is one that I ask everyone is how would you like to be remembered?
1: I don't know. Uh, I mean, Oh, I, wanted, I want to add, I suppose I want to add to um, paralytic snowboarding. In, and however that is, I don't know still, um, but I want to um, be remembered for like putting something into paralytic snowboarding, you know, um, because I love it and I've got loads of, like, everyone I race against, like, I've got a good group of like friends and um, it's a great thing, you know, so yeah, if I can add to that, and keep it going then i want to try and do that
0: amazing absolute pleasure having you on mate just let everyone know where they can find you and you know what f- follow what you're doing and all that sort of stuff
1: yeah so uh Stubbagram on instagram um and the same on twitter and james Vansmiller on facebook um and then yeah if you like normally are well, Champs is streamed on YouTube and all our results are on the Fizz website.
0: Amazing. Thanks for coming on,
1: mate. No worries, mate. It was wicked.
0: Hope you enjoyed this one with James williams Miller. Great guy, great guest to have on. Really appreciate him coming on and giving us time. Um, if you want to find him, you can find all his links down in the description below. And also remember to like, subscribe and share the podcast because about 95% of you don't subscribe, which is shit. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed and I'll see you next week for another episode.